Welcome to Moms in Baseball. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Diana. We've received a lot of questions about arm care for pitchers. So we've decided that in order to thoroughly cover this topic, we wanted to reach out to two different experts. So while next week we will be talking to a physical therapist who specializes in arm care and pitching, uh, for today's episode, we're actually going to have answers that we gathered from a pitching coach at the major league level. So this is somebody who is not able to talk to us without kind of jumping through some hoops and getting permission. So we have agreed to keep his name anonymous, and therefore we unfortunately won't be able to tell you who it is. But you can just trust us when we say it's, you know, this isn't somebody that we know personally or anything. This is, like I said, a, a pitching coach at the highest level. So we figured between him and our physical therapist next week, they were two of the most respectable experts that we could come up with. So hopefully between the two of them, we have some answers for you. Today will be a bit of a mini episode because we are going to go through the questions that we asked the major league coach and go over his answers. And we will also offer a bit of completely unprofessional mom ideas on these questions as well. And then hopefully next week with our physical therapist, we will be able to dive into the topics a lot deeper. Absolutely. So we asked him his thoughts on ice and our expert said player's choice, which this kind of brings up a little bit of controversy, right, Diana? It does. It surprised me because I hadn't heard that this was a controversial issue until recently. I was sort of raised in the rice method, rest, ice, (laughs) compression, elevation. My dad is a phys ed teacher, and that's what was kind of drilled into us. That's what you should do. So after throwing, we were told you should ice. But new thinking suggests that you should not ice. We were curious what he would say, and he just said it's up to the player. So yep. We'll see what our expert next week says on that. So I think it goes kind of hand in hand with the ice. So instead of maybe doing the ice, some coaches and uh, professionals are saying maybe running after throwing. And our expert said, don't mind long distance after, but prefer sprints and intervals. And I'm I'm assuming because to break down that lactic acid that builds up and which creates the soreness. So instead of using ice, that's the thought process. Yeah, I know um, when Xander pitched in Florida for that New Year's tournament, his coach there had the kids run one pole for every inning pitched. Oh, nice. So he pitched, I can't remember if he pitched four or five innings. That was just kind of that coach's rule. And so he had to run four or five poles afterwards. And I thought that was an interesting philosophy. But that probably was not sprints. I'm guessing that was probably more (laughs) jogs. But yeah, it's interesting. This expert says he doesn't mind that, but he would probably prefer for them to be doing sprints. So Mm -hmm. those were his thoughts. Uh, The next one is bands versus weights. And our expert said both strong wins. Yeah, that seems to be his theme. He just wants the players to get strong. Mm -hmm. Yep. The next one is a long toss. And our expert said best thing kids can do for their arm, which makes sense. I have seen that a lot. Yeah, I had always believed that this is what you should do. My older brother, I talk about him all the time, so someday we'll have to actually have him on here, but otherwise I just use all his stories. Uh-huh. <laughs> My older brother, who ended up pitching um, at a, a Division One college, he started implementing long toss before his workouts. I believe it was after we went to a Tigers and Texas Rangers game, and he saw Nolan Ryan doing this to warm up and thought that that seemed like a smart idea, so he, he utilized that. And I always just assumed this was a good thing, but within the last couple of weeks on Facebook, I've seen people saying you shouldn't do long toss. That's not going to help with anything. And I had never seen that thinking before. So we thought we would ask our expert on that. And 
And he agreed. It's the best thing they can do. So keep doing long toss. All right. The next one is those heavy balls, or uh, I think they're also called the pilo balls. And our expert says not until growth plates are shut. Yeah. So we're not referring to medicine balls here, but the, you know, the heavy balls that they use before games when they're doing BP so that they don't hit the balls too far. Some people will have the players throw those. And so he's saying he doesn't mind it. But yes, the the younger players who are still growing should not be throwing those. So our next question, we asked any advice for young catchers who also pitch, which I think this is more commonly when they're younger and they're not overusing their arm. But I think once you get to a certain age, you're going to have to pick one or the other. Um, So our expert said, make sure you give yourself time to rest after a start or outing before going right back behind the plate. So that ends up being a ton of throws for a kid. Absolutely. That is a ton of throws. Yeah, so my guess is he means, you know, they should probably be sitting out a few innings or maybe even a game before they pitch and or after they pitch. And I kind of wondered how he was going to answer this because I was guessing he was just going to say, you know, don't, (laughs) don't do it. Because especially someone that's working with older professional players, for them, it's kind of like, well, why would you do both? But a lot of us know that the reality is at the young level, the kids either haven't figured out yet, you know, which one they're going to specialize in, which why should they have to figure that out at a young age? Or the reality of just being on a travel team that's playing a ton of games in a weekend. At some point, everyone has to pitch at least a little bit, oftentimes. So it's one of those things you'd rather not do, but it's it's probably going to have to happen sometimes. So yeah, that was his advice. Just kind of rest before and after if it's at all possible. Our next question would be, uh, would you recommend against pitchers playing year round? And if so, how long of a rest period? And our expert said, yes, they would recommend that they take at least eight to 12 weeks away from the mound. Multiple sport athletes are looked higher upon by college baseball coaches. And this is another controversial <laughs> topic. Um, but we have noticed that, you know, those multiple multiple sport athletes are very coachable and you can see that at a younger age. And then as you tend to get older, you may have to dedicate towards one sport or the other just to do the fine tuning like Jason Ball had mentioned so that you can, you know, up your game and put yourself out there a little bit more. What are your thoughts? I was curious about this because I know like for us in Michigan, a lot of our players are taking a two to three month rest at least from pitching. And that's generally when the kids are playing soccer or football, or maybe they're just working on strength training, something like that. But in regards to the multiple sport idea, this seems to be a hot button topic. And I feel like the answer from people tends to be geared towards what their kids do. Does that sound right? Like if your kid just really likes baseball and likes to play baseball, then you're looking for reasons to kind of justify that. And if your kid likes to play a bunch of different sports, then you're kind of looking for a way to justify that as well. And I kind of feel like my common sense sort of mom answer is if your kid likes to play a bunch of sports, then, you know, encourage that. And I, I feel like there absolutely can be benefits to that. And if your kid really just likes to play baseball and that's all they want to focus on, then figure out a way to make that happen so that, you know, they're still getting work in, but not injuring their arm by throwing pitches all year round. I, I feel like that could work either way. And I know Mark Jeb mentioned, and that was, I believe, episode 20, that he said, if you ask any college coach, they're going to say they prefer multi-sport athletes. But the reality of it is he never had a coach ask any of his players, do you play other sports? Like, I think that's, I think college coaches probably really do like the idea of that. 
But ultimately, at the end of the day, they just want to see how good are you at baseball. They're not going right. to say like, oh, he's really good at baseball, but he doesn't play football, so I don't want him. No, that's I, I don't think that that's something that's really going to go into the equation. Absolutely. So. That, that's just kind of my my mom thoughts there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I will say, yeah, younger kids in playing different sports, it definitely helps with the development. You know, you're using different muscles, you're using different core um, so that it'll strengthen you and be a, a better athlete all around. So I say, why not? Why not? I mean, and just like you said, in baseball, when you're younger, you're trying out different positions. Why not try out different sports? You don't know. Maybe you'll like soccer better. You don't know. Maybe you'll like football better. You don't know. Wrestling, who who knows? I mean, why not try those different sports? Don't just hold yourself back and say, I just want 100% baseball. That's it. So that's my two cents. <laughs> I guess there's two reasons why I like my kids to do it. In, in addition to what you just said, Stephanie, and one is that I don't want them to get completely burnt out yet. And I feel like that helps with the burnout a little bit is by giving them a break and letting them do something else and just kind of have fun with it. Yep. And the other reason for Xander in particular, I like it, and this goes along with what you said, Stephanie, is that he hasn't been formally diagnosed, but we're getting him help for dyslexia. And Mm -hmm. there's things that go along with that where sometimes they have a little bit harder time dealing with proprioception, like how their body is in space and how to replicate certain movements and really understand their body and how it works and, um, you know, being able to work both sides of the body. Whereas that can help with switch hitting or things like that because it feels the same from one side to the other. But then I feel like in baseball, you know, you're not always working both sides of the body. So I feel like by him playing soccer, him playing basketball or whatever, it is helping to kind of reinforce using the entire body and kind of getting him used to what that feels like. Nice. Totally agree. Yep. Our next question, do you notice any particular qualities that differentiate pitchers you have worked with who seem more resilient from those who are more susceptible to injury? So our expert said, gets back to strength. Our ligaments can only handle so much. The muscles they develop protect those ligaments. No baseball player could ever lift enough to bind them. Check out videos of Eraldis Chapman, which we know Eraldis Chapman is the fastest pitcher in the MLB. He's throwing around 106 miles per hour. And so Diane and I even looked at videos before this. I mean, he just looks very fluid, but we're assuming maybe he has, he's more built and has arms, but you just can't tell. Yeah, we, we weren't completely sure what he meant here. So we're curious to talk to our expert next week to kind of get his thoughts on this. I'm wondering if people are concerned about lifting too much for pitchers because they want to have that long, lean look. And our expert here today is saying, you know, don't worry about getting too strong. You're not going to bind up your ligaments. That's not possible. And, you know, Raldis Chapman is pretty strong in his upper body from what I can tell. I mean, I don't. Very strong. (laughs) If you're throwing 106, you've got some muscles. You've got some muscles. Yeah, we're kind of assuming that that's what he means with that answer there. So I guess, you know, like I said, this was kind of his theme. He wants the pitchers to be strong. It helps to prevent injury. It's going to help them throw harder. So yeah, don't be afraid, I suppose, to lift too much when they're, at least when they're older. That's one thing we didn't ask. We can maybe ask that next week. We didn't ask at what age. Yeah, absolutely. I will add in a little story here. So Uh, I was watching the movie Fastball, which I recommend anybody do because that is that's a great movie and I really enjoy it. But there was a pitcher on there, Steve.
Steve Delkowski, and he is in the older, like the 1950s and 60s. He did not make it into the MLB, but he was considered the fastest pitcher in that era, and he was throwing around 100 miles per hour. But the interviewer was asking him a question, and he said, how would you tell people to throw faster? And he said, I won't. I don't. You can't. Like, there's no way that you can teach somebody how to throw faster. You just know how to. But he was also known for um, the pitcher that could not throw strikes. He would walk half of the players, and so hence why he didn't ever make it into the major leagues. But throwing around 100 miles per hour and looking into it, he was a left-handed pitcher, and he mostly threw from his upper half. So, like, imagine if he actually used his legs and the whole, the hip and the how much faster he would be. And that's around the 1950s and 60s. Like it just, it just blew my mind. Like I was just like, he was like, you can't teach that. You just know how to throw and that's it. And left it at that. (laughs) I think our pitching coaches would like to think that there's a little bit that they can do. (laughs) But no, I don't think you're going to take a kid that doesn't know how to throw and then all of a sudden teach him how to throw hundred miles per hour. But I'm sure there's things you can do to give him, you know, a few miles per hour here and there. I I, I hope. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And my other thing is, though, uh, we do talk about pitching and everybody, I think it's hooked on like, you know, how fast are you pitching? Okay, it's going that fast and I need my kid to pitch a whole lot faster. Like you have to remember from the beginning mechanics like, oh, how fast is he going? How how fast? But if you have no control and no mechanics, it's not going to help you out at all. Yeah, I think that's just uh, the kids and I don't know, I don't want to say the dads and stereotype, but (laughs) the kids and the parents can get caught up in that because that, you know, that can be like a bragging right. It's kind of sexy, like how hard you throw. But yeah, obviously there is a lot more to it than that to be a successful pitcher. So that was a bit of a tangent, but I know. Sorry, we're coming back around. (laughs) No, back around, around, looping around. It looks like we've got two more topics to go over. So the next question was, would you recommend a certain age to start throwing breaking balls? And would it matter how often you throw those pitches? And our expert said, no opinion here. Any pitch, if thrown properly, is fine at any age. So I guess it goes around that same thing that we were just talking about. If you have the mechanics of it and you know what you're doing, then I guess do it. That's what he's saying. Talk about a hot button topic here. The most dramatic thread I think I've ever read on social media was around this. Oh, really? Or this topic and then the next one kind of combined, which it's going to be about pitch counts, but... Oh, man. I mean, there were just hundreds of comments and people going back and forth. And they have some very strong thoughts about how many pitches kids should be throwing and what sort of pitches they should be throwing. And just shows you that there are different thoughts in this. But it was interesting to see. He says he doesn't have an opinion. Just learn how to throw it correctly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the next question was pitch count guidelines and how important are they? Um, Our experts said it's not so much the pitch counts. It's the amount of times coaches try to use pitchers in a weekend. So one star or two relief outings seems reasonable a week for young kids. So it's very debatable because we don't realize we've talked about it before that if your kid's pitching, guess what? If he's also out in the outfield and he's getting a lot of throws out there, or if he's catching and he's catching a lot of balls there, I mean, you don't realize all of those add up. And the reason it's such a hot topic is because we're seeing more arm injuries. I think even though we have these guidelines, but there's still always guidelines. They're just guidelines. There's nothing that says if you are eight and under and you only throw 50 pitches, your arm's going to be amazing and fine. No, that's not true. Like he could still have arm problems. Like what if this eight-year-old is very tiny petite and he is like all crazy and has no idea how he's throwing. He could still hurt his arm at 30 pitches. Like you have to take all these factors, I think, into account as well. 
Yeah, obviously we already talked about mechanics and how important that would be, but I think a lot of what I see people debating about in regards to pitch counts is that if you follow those super religiously or, you know, are, are kind of almost on the verge of being fearful of throwing too much, you can overcompensate and then not throw enough. Meaning, mm. you know, if you're only going out and you're pitching and you're only pitching once a week and you're not, you know, throwing your bullpen sessions or keeping your arm in shape the rest of the week, and then you're going out and you're throwing your max pitches. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a mom, but I feel like, you know, that's kind of what people are saying is that that can actually lead to more injury than the other, or at least just as much. So there's so much that goes into it. I will just say, especially with COVID here in my son being a pitcher, I will say I have noticed what you just said a lot more. Like we did not have a full season in Michigan. So like his buildup of using his arm, it wasn't there, but then he was going out there and pitching several innings and trying to throw his, you know, intense fastball. He did have to come out like after two innings because he's like, oh, my arm hurts. Like he did not have that ramp up of the season. And so him not using it, definitely, even though he's thrown it the year past, the same speed, the same mechanics, he just wasn't there. And I can definitely see what you're saying about if you're not using it enough, you could definitely have the injury as well. And the problem with the hard and fast guideline is it kind of takes common sense out of it. Like coaches and parents or players themselves should be able to see when they're tired and their mechanics are falling apart and okay, they need to come out. It doesn't matter if they've hit their pitch count earlier in the season, they're not going to be throwing as much as they're going to be able to throw later in the season. But this is one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy. I don't know if we see this as much in travel ball tournaments, but in our local all-star rec tournaments, almost every single tournament, the rule is to limit pitches. It's like, you can pitch in as many games as you want, but you can only pitch three innings per game. And that (laughs) drives me absolutely bonkers because how stupid is that? You can't go out and pitch an entire game and be done for the weekend, which is, I would think, the healthiest thing you can do. And I feel like our expert here is kind of saying that's great because he only pitched once for the weekend and you know, he pitched a healthy amount, but he can go out and he can pitch three innings in the morning, three innings in the afternoon, three innings in the evening. And parents and coaches who don't know better aren't intentionally like hurting those kids, but they are because they think, well, I'm following the rules. Like these were their guidelines. They think they were set for a reason. Like that must be the healthy way to do it or something. And if anyone's listening that has any say in those local tournaments, please don't make that the pitching rule because I think that's (laughs) stupid. (laughs) I will say for Little League, they do follow those strict guidelines. Once you get up and you start going on to your tournament and then you're playing, you know, your local teams and then you're moving up to states and things like that for Little League, they count every single pitch. And so like if you are 13 to 16, you're 95 pitches, but you will have to have four days rest. And so, man, if you blow that kid and then you still have, you know, you're, it's a single loss like and you don't have any more pitchers, you're screwed because they have to rest for four days. And those are the Little League rules. And so it gets tough. It it's tough, but I mean, I understand why they put them there, but ugh. it almost makes you wonder, you know, if that's more of the benefit of those rules is the rest, you mm-hmm. know, and how many days they're telling you to rest and not to go out and pitch three times the same day. So again, we're not speaking with him, so we can't get his thoughts and exactly what he's thinking here. But, you know, I don't think he wants kids throwing 200 pitches a game either. You know, yes. I think a healthy yes. amount until or right before probably they start showing signs of fatigue But I'm wondering if his thoughts here are that if you only focus on the pitch count, then you could say, okay, well, he can, you know, go out and throw one inning in the morning, two innings in the afternoon, 
two innings for championship game, like that is where it could really maybe start to be um, more of a concern. And that's kind of built into the little league pitching guidelines. You're saying that if if they throw so many pitches, then now they have to rest, you know, for X number of days or whatever. Anyway, those were the extent of his thoughts. Those were the the controversial arm care questions that we came up with and members of our group voted on. So we will hopefully dive into those topics a bit more next week. And then, like I said, also get some more tips on what you can do to help take care of your pitcher's arm. But speaking of the group, if you haven't already, make sure to join Parents and Baseball on Facebook. That's the name of our group, Parents and Baseball. Yes, everyone is welcome. Moms, dads, grandparents. Yeah, and I think this is a time to mention, if you're a dad and listen, thank you so much because... Um, I know there are a lot of men that could benefit from listening and they're afraid because it's called Moms in Baseball and we're women that all we talk about is how to keep baseball pants clean or something on here. So <laughs> we and we've noticed lately that we have a ton of like dad super fans and yes. I, I love that. And we love it. We we appreciate them. Absolutely. We do. And I wish there was a way to tell if we had more male or female listeners, but based on the feedback we get in our messages and emails, I think we have more male listeners than female. I really do. Mm. I don't know. Oh, on that note, we love it when you send us messages on Facebook or when you email us your thoughts. Um, Earlier today, we had a correction and we appreciated that. We added that to our show notes, Mm -hmm. um, kind of a mistake from one of our episodes. So We love it when you reach out and give us feedback or if you have questions or whatever, keep doing that. But also, I noticed today talking to Stephanie that we've had more personal messages and people saying, you know, how much they enjoy listening and this and that than we actually have reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Mm. So if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you could just take 30 seconds to give a five-star review if you're enjoying listening. If you're listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Amazon, Alexa, anything like that, they may not give you the option to give a rating or a review, but you can click the follow or the subscribe button, which will also really help our podcast. Yes, we appreciate all of that. Until then, have fun at the fields. We'll see you next week. Alexa, anything like that? Um, oh, and then my Alexa just turned on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one second. Now I have to wait for her to be quiet. <laughs> Not now, Alexa. Alexa, stop. <laughs> you got to watch yourself.